So, Engineer Craig was just in here and he was like, You want to know a fun fact about Halsey? <laughs> what? She went to the University of Rhode Island and he's like, Go Nads. That's the name. That's the. Th- yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, their mascot is like a, a, a genital. It's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a member. But um, how interesting. You didn't actually go no. at all. Mm-mm. I worked really, I like worked really hard in high school and was like AP student, like got like a near perfect score on my SATs, like extracurriculars, yearbook what? editor, all of it. And was like, I'm going to go to a freaking great college. This is going to be awesome. And then, you know, the real world was like, well, you did everything right. Uh, now do you have money? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. No, but I did everything right. And they were like, but you don't have money. And that is one of the biggest problems that our country faces. Yes. <laughs> Talent is equally distributed. Opportunity is not. Yes. And we are not going to live in a, 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 we're not going to live in a right society until we can actually guarantee equal education to every no, everybody, no matter their zip code, no matter yes. where they're from, no matter who they freaking are, if they want to learn, if they have work ethic, we Mm -hmm. should take that and foster it and help expand it. That's one of the really interesting things, I think, about the subject of socialism. It's like, uh, I know a lot of people from Norway who are creatives, and if you're an artist, you get a salary. Yeah. Because the government is like, you're enriching our culture, and you're creating an opportunity for, like, trade and commerce— for people who are consuming what you make internationally, and we're going to put you on a salary to be an artist. And that's like the immediate effect of what? their work. Yeah. And, and, and their long-term effect is even more more impactful, right? Like they're inspiring other kids who are growing up in Norway to, yeah. to do the same and to feel like there's an opportunity to create. So if you have those urges, don't fight yes. them. Being able to enable people is one of the greatest things a society or a government should be able to do. Right. To give people hope and aspirations Mm -hmm. and then the resource and the tools to help make it a possibility. But I see that and I challenge you that a lot of those countries are predominantly white. Yeah. So it's a lot easier, I think, for the people in their culture to release the their grasp on resources because they feel like they're sharing it amongst their peers. There's like a less there's less of a um, the impact of racism history. You know, a, Historically. a, his, a history yeah. of systematic racism that has socioeconomically divided people of color doesn't exist. It, it, so, like, if we were to try that, that would mean asking the white people of America to give as much as they have to people of color, which they're going to more likely say no. Like, I'm just yeah, being completely no, honest. No, and you are, you know what I mean? And what you're saying is 100% accurate. Which is completely unfair. It, and that's why we need to get to a place, uh, we need to get to a place as humanity, and I say humanity just in a domestic sense, yes. where we see each other as equals yeah. and not different. Mm-hmm. And if we, the people, can't fully do that, we need to make sure that we're electing officials who do. Mm-hmm. So then they're putting forth a future where we all are equal, no matter what some guy named Jim Bob yeah. says in Podunk, wherever. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Be- because that's the only way, really. Like we can't, and, and it's education too, right? How do you how do you fix the problem of 
the way we view different races in our society. And I think one, you got to start with reparations. The same mm-hmm. way Germany dealt with the Holocaust, yeah. we need to give back properly. That's number one. Number two, it's education. And you cannot rely on the household to educate properly. Of course. It is culture, it is school, it is everything. Yeah, and also we're creating school systems that create a hierarchy by, you know, making education inaccessible to people who live in poorer areas, mm. which as a res- because as a result of systematic racism happen to be areas that are a majority majority made up of people of color and made up of minorities. So, you know, from the jump, even if we provided that education, where would we be providing it? Because the people who need access to it can't get it. And I agree. that's, it's just like, that's why equal. It, that, that's I'm, why it's really, really hard to be a young person right now because you don't know where to start. Yeah. It's news fatigue is real. Is like sitting down and reading articles and like seeing like stuff in the news and being like, there just seems like so much wrong that I'm forced into apathy because I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, you don't it's know like yourself. when your room gets like so, 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 so messy, where you're like at the point of like, I don't even know where to start, honestly. Like, I think I'm just going to become a hoarder. I don't have a choice. I don't even know what to do. Like, do I start by cleaning out my closet? Do I do my laundry do i clean up all the empty water bottles next to my bed like it's actually a really great metaphor for a lot of our issues because it's like you know it's about organizing it's about getting rid of the things you don't need anymore and bringing in things that you do need it's about getting rid of waste getting rid of you know what i mean you're literally sitting there like i'm only one person i need a whole team to help me help me do this and really the, the perfect example is you're, you have a room that you can't keep track of. And where do you start? What do you do? And I've racked my brain about this, I mean, uh, many sleepless nights. Yeah. Because it is hard to figure out where to start. And also, I, other people are coming in and messing up your room, too. And you're like, what the what Yeah, the because heck? You, you control nothing. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you control what you control. Yeah. And that's it. Um, what and, a great start. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hello, beautiful human. Hi. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Dan's here. And, uh, you know, Halsey's here. That's a very, uh, it was was a very chill start to the interview. Yeah, definitely. Right? It was chill. It was super chill. By the way, that's one of the many, many, many reasons why I love uh, spending time with you. And I thank you every time for giving us your authentic energy and your true self. It it means a lot because you never know what you're going to get. And I don't know. It's just the being comfortable. I really appreciate it. Oh, you guys create a really easy environment to come talk. I always get really excited when I get to come do this. And it's just like. I don't know. I think that we've built like a really incredible history of interviews. I know my fans always love these the most because, you know, the questions have substance and they're thought provoking. And most importantly, you guys give me the time to think about my answer. Well, you're giving me. It's real. So many goosebumps. So so many shows. It's like quick, 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 quick. They want to keep the ball rolling and chop everything up. It's like Mm -mm. there's no room for me to actually think about what I'm saying. And so therefore I'm either, you know, gonna say something that's easy and and, and basically meaningless because I don't have time to think, or I'm gonna say something and it's gonna come out totally wrong because I haven't, <laughs> you know, I don't get the time to explain it, you know? Uh, you give me goosebumps when you say that and know that, you know, we have thought-provoking discussions because you create art that matters, that Thank is you. true, that is representative of a, a generation. I try. Really it's culture shaping. Hard. Uh, you know, with Nightmare, uh, let's dive right in here. Let's do it. This 
this seems like very natural for you. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, a challenge. I think that tackling subjects subjects in 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 this manner can be can be difficult because like the thing with a song is like you have three minutes and 30 seconds and also those are repeating parts so really you have like a minute and 30 seconds and then like it also has to rhyme and sound good (laughs) you know which is like all right got it (laughs) so i need to take on female autonomy and the patriarchy and you know uh I have a minute and 30 seconds and it has to rhyme and sound good. And be catchy because, but but that's the battle, right? Because if it doesn't sound good, if it's not catchy, then it's not going to touch as many ears as it potentially can. And then the impact, it's like a balance, right? Yeah. Sometimes you find yourself in the studio, I think, with something really important to say. And then you kind of find yourself being like, I may have to sacrifice a piece of this message so that I can take another piece of this message further. If that makes any sense. I get it. So it's like, sometimes like I want to sing two plus two is four and I don't have enough time to say is four. So I'm like, well, as long as I can take the message two plus two and make people think about the answer. They complete it. It's worth putting out there. Even though what I would really like to do is say two plus two is four, Mm -hmm. but isn't saying two plus two is and making them think, isn't that almost as important? And at least I'm starting the conversation. You know what I mean? Zach Sancho. Hey, beautiful human, real quick. Sorry to interrupt. If you're considering going back to school, you got to ask yourself the following questions. Do you need the flexibility to take classes on your schedule? Do you have college credits that you need transferred? Do you want to earn a quality degree from a world-renowned university? If you answered yes to any of those questions, Arizona State University is the perfect school for you. ASU offers over 150 highly ranked degree programs, 100% online. You're going to earn the same degree as you would on a campus from wherever you are on your schedule. Plus, ASU Online accepts most transfer credits. If you want more information, text Zach to 35517. That is Zach to 35517. We'll put it right here. Learn for yourself why the Wall Street Journal ranks ASU fifth in the nation for producing the best qualified graduates and why 87% of ASU grads are recruited within 90 days of graduation. Learn to grow, learn to succeed, and learn to thrive at Arizona State University. To learn more about ASU Online degree programs, text Zach to 35517. That is Z-A-C-H to 35517. Back to our conversation. Zach Sancho. Is that, was that your goal with Nightmare? Was it to start a conversation? Yes, it was. It was all, it was to start a conversation and to end a conversation. Cool. Both. <laughs> Um, and it was also so coincidentally timed, you know, because it came during the abortion ban, like the week that a lot of that started coming to a head and that culminating in culture, which was really unexpected. And I had a lot of people say to me, like, you timed that so well. Like, how did you know so many women were going to be angry this week? And I was and I kept saying, if you think this is the first reason women have had to be angry, <laughs> you're not paying attention at all. Wow. This is just I just got lucky or unlucky enough that another reason to be angry happened. But let's be honest here. A roll of the dice is any week that I put that song out. There's probably a reason for women to be mad. So it would have worked whenever. Well, like, like Going back like 100 years. Yeah. Cat, I could have put longer. this song out in 1920 and people would have been like, yep. Perfect yep. timing. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, but hopefully that's where it ends. Hopefully if I put this song out 20 years from now, people would be like, 
No, that's such an old school mentality. Like, we've come so far. That's... That's what I'm hoping, is that I hope the timeliness of this record stops soon. You know? No, I won't smile, but I'll show you my teeth, and I'm going to let you speak if you just let me breathe. I've been polite, but won't be caught dead. Letting a man tell me what I should do with my bed. Yes. Power. Thank you. That was fun to write. (laughs) I mean, freeing? What are you thinking about when you write those lyrics? You know, a song like this is one of the ones that kind of just, like, comes out, you know? And it kind of started as, like, a bit of a—it started as, like, a slam poem, kind of. So it was kind of, like—you know, and I do a lot of those. I did one at the Women's March. I did one at, you know, the Glamour Conference. Like, I do a lot of these slam poems because I just love—rhyming, to me, is, like, art. Like, when I'm building a sentence or, like, building a poem, it's, like, picking the right colors and the right shapes and the right pieces, the right medium, you know what I mean? Like, all this stuff— so when I started writing Nightmare, Nightmare it was kind of like, it was almost supposed to be delivered more like, I've tasted blood and it is sweet. I've had the rug pulled beneath my feet. I've trusted lies and trusted men, broke down and put myself back together again, stared in a mirror and punched it to shatters, collected the pieces, then picked out a dagger, and I've pinched my skin in between my two fingers and wished I could cut some parts off with some scissors. Like It was meant to be almost like a slam poem. That, you know that rhythm flows very naturally. Yeah, and, and I listen I, to a lot of rap music. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a lot of Emily Dickinson and Sylvia Plath, and I listen to a lot of rap music. So that's what you get. That is a beautiful combination. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Emily Dickinson, but Migo, make it Migo. <laughs> that's basically how I write. <laughs> so, what changes between the the slam poem version of Nightmare and the musical record version of that record? I think that I, with a song like that, I always kind of instinctively approach a more like nursery, rhymey kind of mentality. Well, is that like strategic? It's not, it is strategic, but it's not intentional. It's like subconsciously strategic. Got it. Because sometimes I think when you're like, quote unquote, teaching people something, there's, yeah, there's like, you know, when something is mnemonic and it has like, like, the right rhyme pattern to make it memorable or the right melody to make it simplified. That's what helps the message kind of come across. Like there's a reason when you were in school, your teachers taught you all the states in alphabetical order by making you sing the song or like all the presidents or like your times tables by making you sing the songs. Cause song, a song is memory. It's a mnemonic device. Are you teaching people morals through? I Hopefully, or I'm teaching, I'm hopefully teaching my audience. You know what's so funny about Nightmare though, is that when I was working the record, as I'm working the record, I'm still working the record. I was, that's the funny thing about music is sometimes you put it out and you're like, ah, oh, the finish line. And then you're like, nope, the starting line. <laughs> um, but I, um, I uh, I realized it was the first song I ever wrote where the people that the song wasn't written for were the people it was more important to reach. Yeah. It was the first song I wrote where it's like, if you're a feminist or you're like, you know, um, if you're someone who's already like a part of the fight, I'm glad that this song serves as an anthem for you, but it's this song is more important for me to reach the people who are not. You know, like we set to do a performance of it on The Voice, and I had had a really um, strange relationship with the sh- with not the show, but with some of the audience. I love The Voice. I was like a guest judge. I was like, yeah. I think it, I think everyone's really really cool over there. But I had performed without me on it like a year ago. 
with with um Jade, Jade Bug, who's like the yeah. greatest dancer of my generation. She's amazing. And we did uh like a contemporary dance and a lot of the audience like freaked out and they were like, What is this lesbian stuff on my TV during prime time? I'm like, It's oh. eleven PM, your kid should be in bed, but fine. Anyway. <laughs> um and so I was kind of nervous to go back on the show again and do Nightmare. And I was like, I feel like people aren't going to get it. I feel like people aren't going to get it. I feel like that same audience is going to freak out. And then I had this moment of like, that's why I need to do it. That's a, you it's, were, it's not about the people that I'm going to please who are going to get it. It's about the people whose maybe minds I can change. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's the first song I've ever had that's really been like that. You know? You wrote the record for the girls being told to smile, but the people who need to hear are the people telling them to smile. 100%. And it's it's really it's been really interesting because I've seen it happen. Like I've literally been in a building doing an interview explaining the song. And like this is a true story. I was in a building giving an interview about the song and as we were leaving heard someone say to a girl, "You can smile." Oh. And I was like, "Is anyone listening to me?" No. I just said I just said. I literally just said. And it was just this moment of like, oh, gosh, Ash, you have a long way to go. But, oh, man. Or the people I do the interviews with and they're like, ah, oh, Halsey, come on. Do people really, is that real? People really tell you? People really tell you you need to smile? I can't imagine anybody walking up to you and saying that. <laughs> I'm like, how, like, how immune to the female experience are you? It's like, like catcalling. Yeah, have you ever? Um, and I look, and I'm looking at this guy who's like, "Does that really happen?" I'm like, "Have you ever left this office before? Yeah. <laughs> do you live here? Is your bed under the desk? Like, do they keep you in a cage and let you out to do your job? Like, have you ever been in the real world before? Also, it was happening in New York City, where I was like, New York City practically invented catcall culture. Mm-hmm. That is something that basically every young woman there. Goes through. Goes through. Like, you, see it, you see it all day, every day But there. by the way, like, yeah. I'm just so sorry that, like, if that was a radio interview, how, how I don't know, sheltered the, the, the creators in this medium genuinely are. A lot of them. Not all of them. A lot of them. Well, I think they have the privilege of it, working with women who are also in a position of privilege. Because, like... A lot of the women that you guys probably interact with are women like me. Yeah, professionally. Professionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Professionally. They're either your peers or they're on the show with you. Mm -hmm. Or they're they're stars. Stars. Celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just assume that you're on a pedestal and you've you've experienced nothing of reality. Or that I'm protected. Yeah, you hover. Which is one thing I talked about in my Women's March speech was that being becoming famous didn't stop me from being sexually harassed. It didn't protect me at all. And that's a really interesting thing about the, the the gender divide in the way we raise young people is there are young, some young men. There are some young men in this world, and one of them is in office, who dream of having power so they can abuse that power. Oh, yeah. And there are young women who dream of having power so that they will no longer have to be abused. And that is the ultimate divide. That, is that a young man gets to grow up and go, I can't wait till I have power because I can do whatever I want and no one will stop me. And a young woman goes, once I have power, I won't have to worry about anyone using theirs against me. And that is the ultimate, like, that's the discrepancy in the whole thing. It, but it's not even fully true. Because you can look at you, somebody can look at you and say, Halsey is power. Halsey yeah. is protected. 
But none of that stopped anything. I have a bodyguard and it doesn't stop me from getting sexually harassed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Reality still that, hits. And that's privilege as well, is knowing that even like I and I go through it and still makes me think I couldn't I can't imagine what it's like to be in a position where you are so wildly unprotected and you're and you're going through it. And you don't have the financial independence or the emotional support system or the professional longevity yeah. to know I can stand up for myself because other women don't have that and so they fear standing up for themselves. And I have that and still fear standing up for myself sometimes. You know what I mean? Sorry, that's like, I, I got really dense there no, for a no, second. No, but, but, but it needs to be said. And, and to be honest, like I, I genuinely feel that the only way we see proper change is for, it doesn't need to be all, but for for some women to take this fear and focus in, into achieving power, but power that is genuinely lasting. Yeah. Power that is an elected office. Because yeah. once you're in an elected office, you can actually make change. Well, it's diffusion of responsibility too because then you get to give other young women power. That's it. You get to designate power and you get to share that power. One woman in power, one woman in office has the really the, the, the potential to impact and inspire so many women off of that. Yeah. But at the same time save lives and change the way our system works. Yeah. And I, it's really sad that it's come to this. I mean the fact that women need to run for office to make sure that their own bodies are freaking protected. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean is women dream of having power so that they don't have to worry about being have power used against them. We need selfless civil servants. It's a huge, yeah. huge need in our society. It, with Nightmare, obviously achieving something lyrically that is so who you are, but the music and the instruments attached to it are you. Yeah. They're totally you. I mean, I would... I think we would know it's you because we've done, we, we know you. Because you guys know me. But but the sound of it, the rock of it, yeah, it is different than anything else. I think I just kind of like, I have like a little, a little bit more like agency now, I guess. Like, I just don't know if I thought I could make a song like that before. I think that was like an unrealistic reality for me. So you've wanted to. I don't even think it was in my in my wheelhouse. Like I think that I'm making music the past couple of years, I don't think it ever would have occurred to me that I could do that. And then after years of playing shows and seeing the crowd and like, you know, coming to a place where like people are, I have people. I was because I've been off off tour for a while. I stopped my tour in like September or something, and even so, I was in Europe for like a couple of months. But now that I'm starting to do shows again, there's people who've been working with me since without me. Wow. And they're coming to my shows, they're coming to Webster Hall, or they're coming wherever, and they're like, whoa, your show's like a rock show. You rock. And I'm like, yeah. Well, Badlands was a lot of rock. That's what I'm saying. It was It was like, a industri- that album was like industrial pop. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's talking about, like, all the Nine Inch Nails influences in culture right now and how there's, like, you know, the Trent Reznor um, interpolations in the Black Mirror episode. You know, Five Sauce just put out Easier, which is, like, super Nine Inch Nails influence. Like, there's a lot of that going on. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, heck yeah. I want to see more of that because that's kind of the stuff that inspired songs like Castle or Control or, like, some of the earlier stuff on my my albums was, like, that that industrial approach to, to pop music. Um, but I think that I wouldn't, I needed to grow into a song like Nightmare because getting on stage and screaming from your 
like gutturally screaming from your insides like you can't you can't i can't put a song like that out unless i can promise myself in the world that i'm going to be able to deliver when i perform it and Um, i don't think i was in like a good enough place or a confident enough place well i was going to ask why was it important for you to yell and scream these lyrics Uh, because i was angry and because it felt good and because i've seen so many young people in the audience at my shows and I watch when those parts come into into songs. Like I watch it during gasoline when they scream, "Do you call yourself a hurricane like me?" Or during a hundred letters when the girls are screaming, "I don't let him touch me anymore." You know those moments where they're screaming, and I was like, "I want more of that. I want them to feel that when they leave my show, like they got it all out, like they screamed it all out." But like they're not going to do that unless I give them the the songs to scream to. Is that what Nightmare was for you, getting something all out yeah, there? Yeah, I got it off my chest for sure. I was like, it feels good. I put that out and I was like, yeah, Whew, okay. <sighs> like, I don't know. It's like when you're when you're like, you finally get a good scream or a good cry out and you feel so much better and you're like, how long have I been holding on in? Oh my God, <laughs> whoa. 20-something years. Yeah, honestly. Well, throughout all the records you've created, is there one that's been the most difficult to perform or to make? To craft. Ooh. Nightmare was pretty hard because it's really it's a really nuanced record. And I had a lot to say and not a lot of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also I was trying to make a political record that didn't feel whiny. Dude, you, you don't get politics out of that record or any sort of moral anything until listen to. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, because I'm tricking everyone. Dude. I wanted to make sure I could trick everyone. It's well done. And like you're si- and you're singing along, and then all of a sudden you're like, "What am I singing?" Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did that. That was kind of like what we did with "Bad at Love," which was really fun. Mm. There's a lot of people who would sing along to that song at the top of their lungs, and then like ten listens later, be like, "Oh, she's gay." <laughs> oh, wait, did she say she in the second part of this song? Like, you know what I mean? Like. A lot of people who were like really singing along to that record and then after like 10 listens were like, oh my gosh, she's singing about men and women. I didn't even notice. But that's, but, but that's how it works. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that's new. Well, that's part of the, the difficulty is making something that's not gratuitous, is making something that's not like, that's the hardest thing about pop culture is having a very, is making sure that your identity and your message is concise and digestible but if your audience wants it to be i understand that so like without me a lot of people hear that song and they're like yeah screw you think you could live without me like like you know what i mean (laughs) and it's like singing along whatever like i love that song and then there's like a whole other group of people who have dealt with domestic violence or dealt with you know toxic relationships and like narcissists and like people in their life and they hear that song and it's like part of delivering that song was how do i give a message to people in positions of need but bury it under it as in a secret message that you it's like in a secret language that you'll only understand if you need it you know what i mean yeah and they hear it it's there for them and if you don't need the message you don't hear it because you don't need to. You know what I mean? But like that's that's the incredible thing about art. And that's like 
it's kind of more like a focus. I don't want to say strategic, but I want to say focus, like a focused art. You have a goal yeah. with this. It's not like it's not just random expression as it's happening. Yeah, which is strange because my art art is different. Yeah, when you draw, you paint. yeah, like my physical art is usually has no. I don't even know where I'm starting or ending. And when I'm making a song, it's so focused. You know what I mean? Like I've literally had songs that I'm like it's not right, it's not right, it's not right, and then I change one lyric, and I'm like, ah, there it is. The whole painting came together. And I guess it's kind of like drawing in a, in a way where it's like you know if you do like an abstract portrait, it's like sometimes one line down the middle is like there's the face. Oh my gosh, it looked like nothing, and then you drew that one line, and now this whole thing is a face. I can't believe it. You know, it's like a song is sometimes like that. I guess I don't. I don't know. Is there a record? Well, let's get into this new album. Does this album sound like Nightmare? Ah, uh, yes and no. Is it like? It's like um, it's really eclectic. Okay. It's really eclectic. It's like, think of like 10 of the most like unexpected things you think I could do. I do all of them. Oh. Okay. Is this a reality-based album or yes. a concept album? Both. 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 It has a, a motif that, you know, make, you know, permits it to maintain a narrative and keeps it a complete thought. Got it. But it's much more confessional. It's very candid. Like, it's um, it's a bit more like my 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 poetry. Like, it's more like my writing. Like, I think that's the thing about a song like, like Nightmare as well. Is it's like the video brings it into this like phantasmical kind of experience you know what i mean where i'm like in latex and this and the other thing debbie harry's there and there's fire and like oh my god it's a fight club like you know all this like stuff but the lyrics are very straightforward they're like yeah. very confessional it's like um it's literally just sounds like i'm talking talking very um uh densely but talking and i think a lot of this record is kind of like that too where it's like I think I just kind of like I'm in, uninhibited in the way that like I think that being me is interesting enough, you know? Yes. Without having to be like in a cinematic concept. You know, because I, I came it got to it kind of got to a point and I noticed this when I made without me, which was like it got to a point where it's like my real life has become far more interesting than any story that I could actually invent. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, is that I'm a, a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know, but I'm using it to the best <laughs> of my ability right now. Like, which is art, right? The inspiration yeah. for art. yeah. It was like you know, I was, I was, I started a, uh, I started kind of like like journaling more, which I don't really do. Just in case I ever want to do some kind of memoir or autobiography. Just in case this whole thing runs too far away from me. And one day I need to be like, nah, let me tell you my side of the story. <laughs> I'm just making sure I'm keeping track of my thoughts. And um, Do you journal daily? No. When do you reflect? How often? When I change. Okay. You so, know what well, I mean? Like when I notice something in me start to... When I notice I'm different. Like... Um... Like, I'll, I'll journal on, like, a week where I'm, like, really contemplative and, like, quiet and lonely and, like, and I'll write about how that feels. And then, like, before I know it, I blink and I'm out and I'm, like, social butterfly, like, totally loud and cool and this, that, and I'm dressed like this and whatever. And I'm, like, ooh, time to write because now I'm in, like, a different 
So you want to like document? Yeah, you want to document the different yeah phases. Yeah, it's almost like science. I'm like, like I'm like <laughs> I'm doing like a log of like how the subject is evolving. At 11:27 p.m., spoke to two humans. I mean, actually, it's <laughs> kind of like that. It's like today I went I went out and I did this, or it's like, you know, today I sat inside and I called my mom, and then I called Maria, and then I called Peyton, and then I called my grandmother, and then I called Anthony, and then I called Maria again. <laughs> Why can't I be alone in a room with myself? And why did it take? Why did I need to resort to four hours of talking to people on the phone until I got so tired I'd fall asleep? And then like reflecting on that and being like, why did I have to call everyone in my phone book just to have company in a hotel room somewhere? Why couldn't I just sit and be alone for four hours? Do you do that to learn about yourself to figure out why? Kind of. Mostly I do it so I can make fun of myself later by writing awful songs about what a terrible person I am. What? But how does sitting what? how does not being able to sit in a room alone for 4 hours connect to being an awful person? Not being an awful person, but I think that I take that and then it turns into a record about my tendency to use other people as a mirror. I understand that. If I'm not feeling good about myself or I'm feeling insecure in my identity, it's easy to call other people because the way that they talk to me and the way they treat me reflects back to me as their opinion of me, which reminds me, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm cool. I'm, I, I've, now that you say it like that, I, yeah. I connect to that. Yeah. You have those people that you call. They are a mirror. Mm-hmm. But a mirror telling Looking glass self. But like telling you exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. And hopefully sometimes when needed, what you need to hear. And sometimes... Not what you need to hear yeah. at all. Sometimes I'll be like really not good. <laughs> like I'll call someone and they'll be like, you're, you're great. You're this, you're that. Like, or like sometimes I'll do something super selfish, which is rare because I'm like, wow, like painfully empathetic. But like every now and then I'll do something selfish and I'll call someone and they'll be like, you are like the most generous person. It's fine that you did that. Your schedule was like this and this happened. And like, hey, like, don't worry about it. Like, kind of, I'm like, okay, cool. So it's fine that I did that thing. Instead of sitting down and being like, no, Ash, it's not cool that you did that thing. You know what I mean? And you need that more than you need the first yeah, one. Yeah, heck yeah. Because I feel like I've been in those moments where too many people have told me like, oh, it's okay. You're bu- you're busy. You got this going on. Dude, it's, it's gotten to the point where I just don't do the initial action. Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it's, I totally understand that. Or I call people and I'm, like, telling them about this idea I have, hoping they'll tell me it's a great idea. Yeah. And if they don't think it's a good idea, I'll keep explaining it until they think it's a good idea. And then if they don't think it's a good idea, I'll keep explaining it until they just want to get me off the phone so they tell me it's a good idea. (laughs) And then it's, like, I'm not learning from that at all. And also, I need to like my ideas because I think they're good ideas, not because... Other people think they're good Mm -hmm. ideas. And that was a big learning process for this album. When I started writing it, I didn't let anybody hear it. Nobody heard Nightmare until probably a week before it came out. So did you just grab Benny and grab Cashmere Cat? Yes. My label didn't even hear the song until a week before. We didn't even have the final version of it when I shot the music video. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, we had the song. But I'm saying we didn't have the final production and all that stuff. Because I just, I needed to know from the bottom of my heart that I was putting that out because I believed in it. And I also didn't want to, I didn't want to risk having people be like, this is a little risky. You just had a number one with, without me. Do we really want to try this? I don't know if it's going to work. I needed to know that I was putting it out because I believed in it. And I was like, guns a-blazing, like, would die in the trenches for this song. <laughs> this is the song. And then that way, if it came out and it failed, I only had myself to blame. It's on you. 
And then if it comes out and it works, it helps me create a model for like what I'm doing because I made those decisions on my own. And that's not that obviously that's not that different from how I've made everything else. But it's like it it eliminates the like the indulgent process of everyone telling you how good it is before you put it out. Yeah. And you also can't go. But it's them. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's how this worked out. Yeah. This, there's accountability. It's on you. Yeah. I got really lucky with that one, though, because it came out and everyone that I wouldn't let hear it was like, well, it's great. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. And that's how you really know. Yeah. But I was like, <laughs> it was kind of scary for a while because I kept it so, 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 so secret. So, so secret. And I have with a lot of other songs, too. Um, Where are we at with the album? How, are we done? Is it... Almost no, it's not done. It's uh, I'm still trying stuff, and I'm still I have still have so many ideas, and um, I'm growing so much as I'm making it that I kind of don't want to stop growing. So I'm kind of gonna let my I'm gonna keep let myself writing until I plateau a little bit, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, how are you growing? In what ways do you see growth? Um, I'm becoming more like confident in my own ability and my own skill. I'm becoming more comfortable. I'm uh I'm I'm addressing subjects that I didn't even know existed. I or I didn't even think of I would have never have even thought of addressing in myself, I think. Cuz I think that I told I've told everyone for a long time that like my first album, my second album were like really really honest albums and they were, but they were as honest as I let yourself be or was aware I could be yeah. if that makes any sense I totally understand you know what I mean like that those albums are in two dimensions but that's because I didn't know there was a third so at the time that was my truth yeah I, like when you don't know a third dimension exists you're like yeah it's two dimensions it's all we got <laughs> and then someone shows you a third dimension and you're like whoa yeah new I didn't even know any of this was here this is I sound like I took a ton of acid I didn't <laughs> I didn't I'm just using Plato's cave allegory to explain songwriting which is totally normal and fine that I'm doing that I just mean you know it's like for me like my first two albums were like uh my first love Okay. And I was like, I will never be more in love than I am right now. And, then, and I was wrong, but I didn't know I was wrong because that was my capacity for feeling. Yeah, because the other thing didn't walk into the room yet. And it didn't exist to me. Yes. I had no concept of it. And yeah. that's like kind of the level of honesty that I'm addressing with this record. But is that you growing up? Is that you yeah. turning into more of an adult? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and that's the most interesting thing about it, too, which is, like, I'm being held accountable for the level of honesty I deemed appropriate at 19, which is, like, okay, sure. That's, what were you guys like at 19? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what was your truth? Like, uh, most of my friends' truth when they were 19 was on Facebook, and it was that The Hunger Games is the greatest movie of all time. So, like, I, that was my truth. That's what I knew. That's what I knew of myself. And in some ways, I was very right, and in some ways, I was very wrong. And I am 24, and while I'm going to be promoting this album and touring this album, I'll be 25, and then I'll be 26. Totally and then, different like, person. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, yeah. Um, a different person with different priorities and, like, a different perception of myself. Also, a couple little things happened to me this lot in the past year that really changed my songwriting, like... I did SNL 
And I know that sounds stupid, but it changed me as an entertainer and as a creative. How? Does it push you to do more on stage? It taught me to stop taking myself so seriously. (laughs) That was like the... That moment for me in my career was probably my highest public approval rating as an entertainer ever, where everyone was like, damn, we really like you. You're actually really cool. And I was like, oh, that's so crazy that if I'll just like let my guard down and be myself, people will like me. Imagine that. Wild. And I was so inspired by so, so, so many of the women on the show because the thing about comedy is comedy is the most difficult form of um, entertainment, I think, for a woman. And hear me out when I explain why. Because it requires you to go against the social norms of what a woman is supposed to be. Because to be funny, sometimes you have to be ugly. Or you have to be weird. Or you have to be the opposite of what you've been raised to believe you're supposed to be as an entertainer. And every time I see Kate McKinnon put a wig cap on and look ridiculous, (laughs) even though she's like stunningly beautiful and amazing, I admire that courage. That courage to go on television and to look ugly or to look stupid or to be gross. To be the opposite of the social norms and the way society casts a lady. And make someone feel something because of it. Even the people who are staunchly against it. Yeah. Making them laugh. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I learned so much from that experience, you know. It was was like, um, it was really eye-opening to me, and it kind of helped the way that I write because I was like, just relax. Just relax. It's okay. Zach Sancho. Hey, beautiful human, sorry for the interruption, but Dan can't stop talking about his cats. I love cats so much. Dan Catman Zola. That's what they call me. Yeah, it is. Because you're obsessed with your cats. I really am. I love cats. I love everything about them. You love these animals deeper than anybody else I've ever met. Yeah, they get so happy they start purring and then they get their little heads and they rub it against your head and you scratch their butt and they stick the little booties in the air. Is there anything you hate about owning a cat? Changing the litter box? It's awful. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so dusty. That's where they go potty. Yeah. But that is also why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. You should try it. We can definitely get you some. There's no cloud of nasties when you scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and it helps you reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. Ooh, that'd be nice. Uh, Your dreams are now coming true, Dan. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Okay, back to the convo. Zach Sancho. What? kept you pent up before was it like this one for a hit was it this no, want to God fill no. some f- formula that you believe people cast for you no of course not i think it was far more human than that i think that everybody wants to be liked mm. i think everybody wants to be liked and i think everyone also wants to believe they're doing the right thing so sometimes when you think you're doing the right thing and everyone goes no that's the wrong thing and you're like whoa i'm so i'm sorry I- i'm sorry i didn't I didn't realize I was doing the wrong thing. Or like, you know, apologizing for your personality or for like your existence or for whatever. I think one of the things I read about me the most that has frustrated me and has made me fearful in the past couple years of my career is I've had a lot of people say that they think I'm um, I'm arrogant or they think that I'm I'm pretentious and that really bothered me for a long time because I feel like I'm like really self-deprecating and I kind of like analyzed it for a while and I was like what would make people think that about me um 
and I kind of like talked to some of my friends about it. And the more I kind of dove into it, it was kind of like, it seemed like because I like stand up for myself, (laughs) that that's why people said that about me. And so, like, I was like, okay, cool. Then I'm just going to start apologizing for everything. And then people won't think I'm arrogant anymore. And then I was like, wait, you can't do that. You can't do that. And, like, if if me being willing to, like, explain things in depth because I, like, enjoy having conversations and because I feel, you know, I feel like it's important to like explain explain my art and explain my yeah. perspective. If that comes across as I just like the sound of my own voice, then everyone's miss- totally missing the point. Because it's actually really hard for me to do interviews. I'm actually really sometimes really scared and thinking a lot about everything that I'm saying to make sure I'm saying the right thing. And it's far less that I just like hearing myself talk and so much more that I'm really desperate to give context so I don't get misunderstood. And by the way, like... The want to be understood properly, I think, is very important. And you should not don't end your quest for that because yeah. that's the way you probably communicate with another human being. It, on top of that, I think, you know, when you say when you're talking about how people perceived you and this may be wrong to say, but you stand up for yourself and you stand up for other women and you do that. Other people. Yeah. Other humans. Yeah. You, you speak out on things that matter. Mm-hmm. A majority of the public sees that and they go. Ugh. Do you get what I'm saying? Mainly also, it's that, like, who died and made you the voice of everybody kind of thing. And it's like, yo, I'm not trying to be anyone's voice. I'm just saying if I have a platform, I'm going to use it. But know something. It's the backwards people yeah. who are the ones who go, you're entitled. It's but that not breaks the my heart, forward though. people. It's hard to get over. It's hard to get over people. It's hard to get over trying to do the right thing and having people be like, well, we don't like the way you're trying to do it. But why? why just why can't you just ignore them? Is it hard for you to do that? I think that no one can really understand the magnitude of the voices until you've experienced it. I know that when I was first starting out, I got a piece of advice from a very, very seasoned female pop star. And I'm not going to throw her name into this conversation because she might just just might not want to be a part of it. I don't know. But anyway, someone I really, really looked up to. And they said to me, they were like, you have to ignore it or like you know, you you won't even know the way that it'll start to bother you. And, like, I probably had, like, 50,000 followers on Twitter at the time, and this person probably had, like, 30 million or something. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, it's not that bad. Like, it's not that bad. I have it, too. And also, like, I can't just ignore them. I'm, like, reading everything. And now, like, five years later, I'm in, like, a similar position, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, she was so right. Oh, my gosh, she was so right. And I had no way of understanding that then. And now I've seen myself give advice to other artists who are starting out and I see them look at me with the same kind of like naivety almost where they're like oh no like it's fine it's cool like don't I, like whatever and I'm like oh no just wait <laughs> you'll see I think the hardest thing with with um musicians and criticism is what you are doing is a projection of yourself so that it when you. so when people don't like it they're in inadvertently saying they don't like you if you're an actor and someone doesn't like your performance or they don't like your character, it's like, okay, like, not to, to say that it's not, I'm not invalidating actors getting hate. It's so just, different. There's... I'm just saying it's different, you know, or like, if you're a politician and people don't like your party or don't like, you know, the the actions of your 
you know, your house or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's just so different. Like musician targeted hate is so, it's so personal and it is so, um, it's like a sniper, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with morality too, because I think a lot of us in music right now really just want to do the right thing. And when we try to and it goes wrong, it's like you it hurts you because you really are just trying. You really are just trying to do the right thing. You know what I mean? But but, but how do you determine right and wrong? You don't, which is why you fail every time. Until you don't, I guess. But how do you even know when you don't fail? That's what makes people stop trying, which is sad because they're scared. They're, you know, it's very difficult in a world where social media has made every opinion fact, mm. Um, mm-hmm. in that kind of world, I think it's very difficult to differentiate the difference between respecting someone's opinion and just knowing that they're wrong and you should ignore them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that line is hard. Where, like, someone will say, like, Halsey, I think you should dress more, you know, covered up because you have young fans who who watch you and like my daughter's nine and she loves your music and you wore a bra on stage and I'm like shut up lady I'm gonna do whatever I want and then I'm like (laughs) wait a second what about that young kid yeah I I don't want to alienate that young kid and if they like my music and they love me I don't want to keep them from enjoying my music because I wanted to wear a bra. Yeah, but also, it was, like, on my heart, and it was authentic to me to wear that bra. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's so hard. You're I, like, Ugh. You have to be you, though. Yeah, but you yeah. got to do what's authentic to you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. what is authentic to me? You know what's authentic to me is is, is going on stage freaking half-naked and free and exciting, but what's also authentic to me is is being a good role model. Balance. You know what I mean? And do you really think you being in a bra is going to change the way this girl uh, acts throughout I, the rest of I her life? I hope not, but I also know that it's deeper than that because it changes her relationship with her parent now because it creates a discourse between the two of them about what's right and what's wrong, and then it, it eliminates her ability to choose. And then she can't find solace in my lyrics because her parents judge the way that I look. Your level of empathy is it's actually so beautiful. messed up. I, no, it's terrible. It's disgusting. No, because but I feel but that's where I think where I, it's so hard because it's like, you know, I get one tweet from some lady and I'm like two hours deep in a wormhole now. That's like, <laughs> and that nine year old might really need my song, but she can't listen to my song because her mom. And then what's she gonna think of herself? And then like you know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh my god. And then it's like, am I even a musician anymore? Or am I like, what am I doing at this point? Like now I'm like a role model candidate camp counselor, and like I do, I've just lost sight of like the whole purpose of what I do is to to make. But, is to create. You but, know what I mean? But is it that your forever purpose? Is music going to be a forever thing? Mm-hmm. No. No way. W- what is a forever for you? Writing. In some form. Writing, yeah. Whether it's music or a book or a screenplay or a this or like whatever, I'll always write because I just like don't... I I have really poor social skills outside of like communicating via writing. Like I've had a lot of people like fall in love with me over text message and then like hang out with me in person and be like, whoa, this is not what I thought you were like. (laughs) And then they leave and I'm texting them again and they're like, never mind, I love you again. And then they come back and they're like, okay, what's going on here? (laughs) Like, who are you? Yeah, I I feel like, and I think that's another thing too with the whole like divide of like, 
me being presented in an environment like this versus me being presented in my art where it's like some people would be like god i love how this music but i can't stand her personality and i'm just like i'm trying like <laughs> i'm just so awkward sometimes like or i just say things that come out the wrong way but i never say things that come out the wrong way when i write it always comes out the way i want it to how but when i talk it's always wrong how often do you go back and rewrite lyrics very rarely you just go it just happens the way it's supposed to okay when a lyric does come to you, do you voice note? Do you physical note? What do you do? Sometimes I physical note. What, do you like... A lot of times I just... You store it? Yeah, I just keep it up there. Whoa. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I can remember everything that's ever happened to me. Like, like <laughs> the, see, I can't remember little things like that. I can yeah. remember instances and moments, Like, but if something like comes and I have an idea... like. I, I, like how many lyrics are probably stored in your head right now that you've just tucked away for a, a studio day? A lot, but if I don't remember them, it's because they weren't important and they weren't good enough. The ones I remember are the ones that are supposed to come. That's the test. They stay for a reason, you know? Is there something, uh, this is a random question I had for you. Last two weeks of your life, if you can go back within the last two weeks to any point and do something different, what is it? Hmm. I went to dinner with my family in New Jersey a, a couple of days ago. Cool. How was it? It was family with my dinner in New Jersey. Family with my dinner. It was dinner with my... Wow. It was dinner with my family in New Jersey. I have a really big family. It's... Um, I promise you I'm not making this up. It's Anthony, Angelina, Jada, Gianni, Angelo, Taylor. Like, it's like... It's that. It's like that. Like you think I'm kidding? Like it's it's a, it's a movie. Your real last name is as Italian it's as fuck. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, so I went to dinner with like 18 people, <laughs> and I was really tired. And I had like had a, had a, I just flown in from London, and then I did the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Congrats! Thing. Thank you. Yeah. Weird, so weird. Um, and I was really tired, and I did the best I could. And I wish that I had more energy and more patience um, and more time. To give. Yeah, in that dinner. And that's another thing that's really difficult is knowing when, like, and this is for everyone, not just for, you know, people in, in my career. It's, like, knowing where to draw the line between, like, biting the bullet and putting family first and, like, spending the time and, like, making the memories and, like, knowing when to protect your own, like, mental or physical health. Like, you know. It's hard to it's hard to balance all that. Yeah, as yeah. because really, like work becomes more intense. Yourself, well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to be like, okay, like I know I can go. I'm in the city. I know I can go into Jersey and see my whole family, and like I haven't seen them in months. And like my little cousins are growing up, and like I've missed so much, and I miss the dance recital, and I miss this, that, and the other thing. And I want to ask them about it, but I also know that I just flew in from London, and I'm really exhausted, and I haven't really eaten much today, and. I want to go to bed early tonight because I have to wake up in the morning and I have to fly first thing and then come home and I have an interview and a meet and it's like that's what's so hard it's being like most people I think would be like your family comes first no matter what and then sometimes it's like I literally I'm like sitting here bargaining my health with like <laughs> you know time. with time um so that's that's one thing that I would do different. I think if I could do anything, it would be go back and find some way to make that. I mean, it was it was amazing. I'm so happy I got to see everyone, and it was so, so great. 
but I just wish that I could have done it with more energy and more patience. Whether that be you can go back, change a flight, change anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or just like, I don't know, freaking meditate, prepare myself, like clear my mind, like get all my business stuff out of my head for two hours. And like, just be pure family. Yeah. But that's so hard to do too. It is really hard. Like, yeah. I, that's why when I go home, I'm like, I need two weeks because if I hang out in New Jersey for two days, I'm still, I'm, I'm still work me. Two weeks is a angry. long time to spend in New Jersey. Uh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so excited, Ashley. I'm so I miss it so much, and I miss the pizza so much in this weird way. Like I I, I miss New Jersey. I do too. <laughs> you but think I'm crazy right no, now? No, I miss New Jersey the way I miss Rainforest Cafe. <gasps> it's like super fun in my memory, and then I go back and I'm like, this is different than I remember it being. Yeah. And I, you'll know like a week, like six days in, if I regret my decision yeah. of being there for two weeks. Straight. I mean, let me know. I'll we'll come rescue you. <laughs> no, I do. I do love New Jersey. <laughs> There's something just so like um, real about it. You know what I mean? It's just so real. Um, like we were at the restaurant, I was, I was waiting in line for the bathroom and there's this girl waiting next to me and her boyfriend comes up out of nowhere and he's like, you know, some like Italian guy. And he's like, oh, what are you looking for Halsey? She's in the bathroom. And he saw me sitting there and he goes, "Never mind, she's right there. <laughs> and I was like, that's only happening to me here. And it's like very humbling and hilarious. So, and I was just like, yo. Try the garlic bread? Like, I don't know, man. Like, it was super, super humbling. And I was just like, yep, those are the people that raised me. People like that. I miss the Rainforest Cafe. Yeah. Um, are you at, are you going to bring up Black Mirror? What are you going to bring Boy, up? I was going to ask how the whole BTS experience is, is going. Oh, gosh. Their fans, yeah, so how are they fun. treating you? The fans are awesome. Our, the army are great. They're the most beautiful human beings. They're so awesome. Also, they're so poorly, poorly represented in culture. As these like fangirl crazy like mindless and they're the Whoa. opposite. They're like intelligent. They're funny. They're tasteful. They're charitable. Like Yo. it's so crazy. They are really kind, strategic, intelligent individuals. Yeah, who really they're like the main promotional vehicle of BTS to the point where they were buying billboards for them in major cities. I know. Like they, uh, I know. I've never seen anything like it. It's really <laughs> remarkable. It's crazy. It's really remarkable. They wanted to say thank you to me for something, and they organized something like charitable in my name. That's awesome. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, what should we do for Halsey to say thank you? Like, should we stream her song? Should we this? And they're like, nah, she doesn't care about that stuff. Let's donate to a charity in her name. And they, like organized this whole thing, and then like did this like charitable thing for me. And they were like, this is our way of saying thanks, Halsey. Like, thanks. And I was like, that's spectacular. And part of me was like, why isn't everyone's fans doing this? Can you imagine if everyone's fans thanked them by doing, by organizing charity in their name? By helping others? What a better place this world would be. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. They like, they just get it, man. They're, they're just, they just get it. Like they're funny. Their memes are like timely and like current and creative <laughs> and like, they're, the fandom is full of like incredible graphic designers and incredible artists, and there's just like constantly this fan generated content that's like keeping this whole subculture alive daily, yeah. daily, and it's mm -hmm. like a whole, it's like a whole universe where like if you miss a couple of days and then you come back, like I literally will like not be on Twitter for like two days and I'll see like a meme about someone and I'll be like, what did I miss? And then all of a sudden <laughs> I'm Army and I'm like trying to figure out what I missed so I get the joke. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yo, I got goosebumps because they are, they're just, there's such a variety of people. They were super nice to me too. Super welcoming, super, super nice. It was obviously a very intimidating thing getting involved with BTS because you know the power of mm -hmm. ARMY and like 
you know, how protective they are. And rightfully so, because this is a band that has been, like, taken advantage of in many ways. You know what I mean? By people promising them spins and radio play in exchange for, you know, social media power. Because the fan base feels like they know what they can accomplish. They're amazing. And so they're protective, as they should be. And um, I, you know, come along. And I'm like, hi, like... We're doing a collaboration. Please don't kill me. Um, and they were so awesome. They're so nice. It was it was amazing. They were super supportive. Like, I think they can tell it's really genuine. They know. Was that they can tell. was the song brought to you done, or did you add your parts to it? I added my parts. Okay. Yeah, most famously, I added "I want it." <laughs> yeah, that was my idea. You know. Um, do you feel like you were that inspiration for the character in Black Mirror? Actually, Everyone keeps asking me that, and I didn't really think about it until I started. No, until I like got into it, and was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like <laughs> my life is super different than that." I have the best team ever, which you know. So you're saying Anthony's not going to put you in some weird coma state no. and then write songs from your brain? <laughs> Are you? That's Maybe just- I'm in a coma right now. That is a running joke with me, though. Is every time something like really crazy happens, like. I think because so much of the the cultural zeitgeist that I'm a part of, I have something to do with. Yeah. I think because of that, there's a lot of synchronicity in my life, you know what I mean? Um, where, like, it's statistically, if I'm talking about something and, like, then, like, a fan tweets me about it or, like, an article pops up about yeah. it, I'm like, whoa, like, you know. No, you're shaping culture. Well, no, but, like, when it happens, I'll be like, whoa, and it's like, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll happen, and you know, all of a sudden, it'll be like Twilight Zone music, where I'm like, "Did anyone see that?" And everyone's like, "Okay, but like statistically, if you're talking about something, and like ten out of a hundred articles on your timeline are about you, like it's gonna come up." Like, you know what I mean? So like, I'm over here like, doo, 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 and everyone's like, "Ash, it's like this is normal." So when when uh, I have like this running joke where I like I'll always be like, "I'm in a coma," I'm for sure in a coma, and then like everyone on my team has just started like with me and they'll just be like maybe you are in a coma (laughs) and i'm like this isn't funny anymore everyone needs to stop i don't want to do this anymore so like uh when i because of that and then like the episode i was like oh my god this is is this is this like a sign in my coma for me to wake up from my i got really meta it got super meta it was very very meta i love black mirror though dude yeah, it's wild. and Miley really killed that. Mm-hmm. That was an incredible, it, incredible acting performance. By the way, back to Nine Inch Nails, I believe yeah. that song. Yeah, you know. Oh, like- honey, so good! It's so good. <laughs> My favorite music of the past year is from fictional pop stars. It's like, what do you do that, do that, do that, do that, do that to me? From freaking oh. A Star Is Born. Oh yeah, and then. The auto roll from mm-hmm. Black Mirror. My favorite music is made by fictional pop stars. What is happening? Like, <laughs> I want Allie to release her own music so badly from I the start. I, I tried to pick Diane Warren Bronson. wrote a lot of it, and she's like one of the most iconic female songwriters of all time. She wrote "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing" for Aerosmith. Yes. What? Yes, she's. Are you joking? And she loves animals. She's like a farm. Yeah, she's like obsessed with them. Is she's she, so cool. I, the, her most recent song, well, mm. one of the most recent ones I love was. Uh, she's telling you don't stand for anything if you no, you stand for nothing if you don't stand for something 
she has a lot of great records with some real great meaning. Also, if you look at her discography, a lot of her songs start with, like, when I. <laughs> it's like, I'm really? just, like, making this up, but it'll be like, it's either, like, when I or, like, where, I think it's when I. It'll be like, when I first saw you, when I dream of you, when we came here, when I, it's like, and I'm like, wow, Diane. <laughs> It's like, it's just like, that's that's a great model. I don't know. It's just amazing. Um, but yeah, sorry. Little nerd fact there. Little songwriting nerd fact is that I, Diane Warren wrote a lot of that. And she's great. She's Super iconic. I keep seeing her face in my head now. Me too. It's really cool. I love her. Um, okay. Do we have a date for this album? No. No? Mm-mm. Do you have like a goal of a season that you want to put it out in? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of just like... No pressure. It's kind of just happening. But you're touring it in September. I'm touring it in September? No, when do you go on a tour? No, no, no. Anthony's like, Anthony's going to come out and like stab me. No, I just I just thought you had information I didn't have. No. My, my team started being like, if you're going to keep the music from us, we're going to keep the schedule from you. <laughs> How's it feel? I'm like, shoot. Wait, so there's no tour schedule. Why did I... Maybe you were talking about a past tour from September and a few shows. No, my last out. tour was Got in it. September, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just doing one-offs right now for fun. I did an arena tour. It was really cool. I'm really glad I did it. It was mind-blowing. It is something that very, very few artists get to achieve in their career, and I would love to do one again, and I probably will. But in the meantime, like, tiny GA venues is, like, kind of, I need it for my soul. Yeah, you said that you feel like yourself at the small venues, right? Yeah, it's like, I need it for my soul. Why is that? Because I can look at everyone and touch them, and, like, I just feel, like, I feel kind of limitless, and you think I would feel that way in an arena because it's such an expansive space, but it's like being in that room, it's so much easier for me to imagine myself in the crowd. Mm. And it's so much easier for me to kind of just like lose myself, I think, a little bit. And there's like the expectation is smaller, like not expectation is smaller. I go on stage in like a tiny little venue, like in like a ripped t-shirt and like no makeup with my hair in a ponytail. And I'm like, all right, he's ready to sweat. Let's go. <laughs> you know, when you're doing an arena show, it's like more of a uh, production. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like costumes and like visuals. And it's like you're putting on more of like a visual experience and less of a emotional experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like um, that Greg Gatsby quote where she's like, I hate small parties. There is never any intimacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, there's nothing intimate about a, uh, about a, a small venue, even though people think it's intimate. It's quite the opposite. All of us are just, like, feeling each other's energy at the same time. And in the big room is where it starts. you start to become very, like... In yourself. Whoa. You know what I mean? Because you almost, like, can't look for anyone. You can't look for... In the small rooms, like, I look down and there's someone staring right into my face and I'm like oh yeah that's a human and this is real and I'm on stage and it's the fourth song and we're still going and I need to sing the bridge and like like it's just like you're so cognizant of everything that's happening do you forget who you're performing to in an arena sometimes 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 it feels like a little more like I do I do pride myself on trying very hard to keep those experiences very intimate as well like one of the things I think a lot of people really comment on is how intimate the arena show feels despite being everyone being kind of far away um and i think it's because i do my arena show and it's i think for most of it it's just me on stage i think a lot of people try to fill the space with like dancers and bodies and fire and and stuff like that i mean i have a lot lot of pyro i love pyro (laughs) but 
um, it's just me in the middle of the room. And that's a very vulnerable thing to do is to go out there and be like, I'm going to I'm I promise you I'm going to command this entire space for two hours. That's the promise I'm making you when I walk out on that stage alone. And it's like a big responsibility. So that can kind of make it there's more pressure. Sometimes I think when I'm doing the show in a in a smaller venue, I feel like we are doing the show instead of I'm doing the show. It's everybody in the it's the crowd, the band it's yeah. everybody. They're all creating the atmosphere with me, which is like. Great. Do you ever wish like you didn't have to perform closer? Because it's a great song, but it just doesn't feel like you. You know, I strip it down and I do it like a ballad now uh-huh. on the tour. And it feels it's so funny because people always cry when they hear it now. And they're like, never in my life did I think closer would make me cry. <laughs> um, But, I, you know, I think I've made it into a point in my set where I acknowledge the fans that have grown with me. And when we hit like hit that, we ain't ever getting older. And it's like a ballad. It's like it's beautiful. Everyone's looking at each other like we first saw her when we were seventeen, and now we're twenty one, and we're here, and you're going to college. And I just like you know what I mean. It just becomes like a different thing. So I think every song I've ever done like has to be able to grow and adapt with me. Mm-hmm. And that's also the mark of good songwriting. A hundred percent. Good song. Good songs evolve. You know what I mean? Like they can they can evolve in that way. Um, and mean something mean something totally different. Uh, I think I did not like it for a while, and now that I've like kind of found a lot of personal success with songs I wrote in my bedroom, mm-hmm. I don't feel like defined by it. Which it's like the same thing as like I didn't play New Americana for like four years because I was so embarrassed of it. But it's so good, and I love playing it. Yeah, I like didn't play it for like four years, and people would be like, "That's so weird. She doesn't play like her first big song." I was so embarrassed by it because I thought people kind of like defined me by that record. No, and now no. I love playing it because it's almost kind of has like a novelty to it. Yeah, where it's, it's like nostalgia. Yeah. You know, and now it's like sick. Now I play it and I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, that's mine. <laughs> yeah. Is it, um, is it hard performing songs like him and I on stage? I don't perform that song. Okay. Ever. And thankfully, I don't have to. Okay. So I have plenty of Other successful hits? records of my own that I don't have to play that song, which is kind of like... That probably the best part of all of it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's I think that's pretty vindicating in itself, you know, yep. is being able to look at a set list and be like, nobody's missing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> On that note, yeah. Palsy, thank you for your energy and your thank time you today. Guys. You're the best. Yeah. Love. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.